answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. And I'm Pat McLean. Thank you for being part of our program today. Both myself and my co-host here, Pat, we are both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays with people like yourself and our weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. So whether you have advisors you're working with now or not, we would like you to consider this place another a source of valuable information to help you along your journey of finances and having some financial independence in your life and some control of your finances and retirement and all those other issues that um, we all deal with when it comes to money. And yeah, so we, uh, we were in a meeting earlier in the day, Scott and myself, and we, as we do on a fairly regular basis, which is are we fulfilling our brand promise to our clients and are we listening to our clients in order to get them what they need? And we talk about the future framework or the four components of a healthy, good retirement, a satisfying retirement. And those are health and wellness, right? Financial prosperity, purpose, and people. And we like to think that we can add value, a lot of value, on the prosperity side, which is not necessarily how much money you have, but how comfortable you are with the money you have, that you actually have a plan for yes. the money. How confident you are in your financial future. Is and there, a, a realistic confidence. Yeah. Do you have a, a not a, like a teenage boy confidence? Y- yes. Totally it, it, unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, is this is this a real world scenario that gives you confidence in your ability to achieve your financial goals in retirement? And then health and wellness, which is you know, that part of it includes health insurance or long-term care or obviously physical. And those two things, firms like ours can really, really concentrate. We could point you in directions on the prosperity and the people, but you've got to fix... The purpose and the people. Uh, excuse me, the purpose and the people, but you have to fix those two first yourself. And that's really kind of the bedrock that the, our business is built around in this financial radio show, which is how do you help people live meaningful lives with giving them direction on what to do with their assets or liabilities. You know, what's funny is uh, uh, both of us come from very moderate middle-class lifestyles, right? Um, Yeah. Yes. Small little homes and um, moderate. And my dad, when I was younger, he was, he was quite, um, uh, how do I say? He was, he was somewhat liberal, but he was really kind of anti-money. Not not so much. I mean, obviously needed money at a job, but he thought that kind of the pursuit of money was not really um, wasn't a really noble thing or that. So when I went into this profession, at first he was kind of like, "Why well, you know, why are you kind of chasing like that's dirty or something?" Maybe, um, you know, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, that sort of stuff, uh, which which I, is true, but. Money is also a very important tool for all of us. And it's very difficult to have any sort of real peace in your life when you're dead broke. If it, you're worried about feeding yourself or worried about feeding your children, it's hard to have peace. If you're worried about where you're going to be sleeping that night. It, everything else becomes uh, hurdles that are hard to overcome. As a matter of fact, studies have shown that when you are lacking those basic things, you have trouble making even some of the basic decisions because you are so overwhelmed with just figuring out where my next meal is going to come from that you can't think about the fact that maybe you need to leave work, leave for work 15 minutes early because there might be traffic. You don't just you're so consumed with. So what? So your dad and you were your point you were making was my point is so. What now that I've been doing this for long, I find it quite a noble profession of helping people with their finances. And most people, 
money is not the most, the highest value to them. Money is a tool for things in life. Most people, particularly as they get older in life, have come to realize that there's much more to life than just finances. And if you have a huge bank account without the other things in life, it's kind of meaningless. Yes. Uh, and most people, as they've gone through life a bit, realize that material things, well, they might be fine. They're really not going to change anything. It doesn't really much matter. Yeah, it makes life sometimes easier. A little, a little bit. bit. But it's not going to add any more the, joy so I, I or will, peace. I will take exception to... Uh, you said a noble profession. I think what I think you feel that about yourself and the firm that you're involved with, but do you feel that way about the industry no. as a whole? No, I don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is maybe why I find this quite noble. Okay. I it, probably, if this industry, you know what, Pat? To be totally frank and honest, if this industry were, was, had a stellar reputation and 98% of the advisors were great people out there that I trust with anybody, I would probably not be in it. I would probably leave and do something different. Where you would add more value. Yeah, probably. So. I just think, I'm like, what's the... I I mean, would, so, it would be hard for me to get up and... Look, I love my job, but like anything in life, work, there are times when work is hard, right? It's just... And same thing with this job. There's times it's hard and painful and those other things. And I do that in large part because I think what we're doing adds value and makes a difference in people's lives, in the people we serve, and in our employees. Wait, and and it, if this industry was full of, of great folks, I, I wouldn't feel that way, and I'd go find something else. It doesn't mean that everyone that interacts with our firm you know, falls in love with us, which is fine, right? Or that every relationship we have, it, that's just not realistic. But uh, we try to make it as good as possible. Now, in saying that, we were going to talk about the CEO of Woodbridge, and this investment yes. company. And we will take calls. Let me get the number really quick because okay. we will take calls. Uh, 833-, and because we already started off on this tangent. <laughs> 833-99-WORTH is the number to be part of the program. Uh, and we, we'll take calls, of course. 833-99-WORTH will get you on all Worth's Money Matters. So this is... This gets back to, you know, and we started off on this little tangent. We didn't, you know, you might find this hard to believe, but we don't do a lot of note-taking about what we're going to talk about when we get on the air. We kind of let the show kind of... What are these notes? That's that a, doesn't take much note-taking. I always have several backup topics to see where we're headed. It's not a lot. There's five lines there. There's five. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. But the point being... Uh, sometimes we let the uh, radio uh, callers actually direct the show a little bit and where we're going to go. But sometimes it's recent things, and then we get in these conversations. So Scott talked about a noble profession. Our industry, that we're financial services, is a it, it is a terrible industry. It's it's opaque. Um, the pricing is is oftentimes a little messed up. You don't know who's getting paid and for what. Um, you get firms that lead with zero commissions, but you know that but doesn't they do, mean. Come that, on, that, that, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? It's like how are they making money? Well, they're making money on the money market sweeps or directed trades, and 99.9 percent .9 of the population wouldn't even know what a directed trade was. Right. But all you read was it's free. There's zero commissions, not knowing that there's other costs associated. So that's what makes our industry difficult. And. And there's a lot of great people in our industry. And there's a lot of really, really bad ones. And you've heard us talk about a lot before at Allworth here. Um, of course, formerly Hanson McLean, Hanson and McLean. Mr. Hanson and Mr. McLean are still very much involved. Co-CEOs, uh, we rebranded to Allworth. Uh, but there's a lot of great people in our in our industry. And But we've been a big fan of fee-based fiduciary approach investment advisors. So someone who's a fee-based advisor that is not compensated or conflicted by selling financial products. Now, just recently, last week or two, uh, a federal judge sentenced this gentleman, I shouldn't call him a gentleman, this guy, Robert Shapiro. He was the ex-CEO of Woodbridge, Woodbridge Group of Companies. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison for orchestrating a $1.3 billion Ponzi scheme, which he pleaded guilty to. That's not a small Ponzi scheme. That's a big Ponzi scheme. Maybe not Bernie Madoff size, but large. But the, the worst thing about this is that he built these financial products, these what are called private placements, structured notes, that were sold through independent financial advisors. Read commissioned. Commissioned advisors. Non-traded. Everything that we say you should stay away from. Non-traded 
products where you don't quite understand how they are put together and they pay large commissions to the people in the distribution chain regardless of the outcome. And they usually have good stories. This had a good story, and its story was they invest, they loan money to uh, extremely wealthy people for luxury homes in the Los Angeles area. And they, they, so they, they would highlight these $100 million homes in Bel Air or whatever. They show pictures of them. I shouldn't <laughs> laugh. I shouldn't laugh. They show pictures of them, and they had nothing to do with those. Most of these were sold to, um, well, they kind of did, but most of the money didn't go there. Most of these were sold to elderly investments, elderly investors. Terrible. And they're private placements. And more than a, a They are pitched. Look, and here's the thing. You would not have been sold this if you worked with an independent fee-based advisor. They would have no financial incentive to push this product. Zero. Because you were paying them a fee based on managing the money, not based on a commission. I read these stories and I think, people, if you would please educate yourself more. Part of the reason we've been doing this program for years is to help educate people. And anyway, the clock's blinking. We need to um, take some calls here. So let's uh, go to the calls. 833-99-WORTH. Let's talk to Bernice in Georgia. Bernice, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Hi, Bernice. Hi. Um, I'm 71 years old. I have just taken my RMD for 2019. Okay. And I was wondering if it would be beneficial to me. I have about 900000 in my, my IRA. It would be beneficial for me tax-wise if I would roll some of that over into a Roth. And I was concerned if I did that, that that would increase my my Social Security premiums, my Medicare premiums, rather, or it, it would also maybe um, hinder or increase the amount that my Social Security is taxed if I did that. Okay. I want to get your feedback on that. All right. So there's a couple things. One is that... If you do any charitable giving, even if it's 500 bucks a year to your church, you want that to come out of your uh, RMD. So rather than you take your required minimum distribution and putting it in your checking account or bank account and then writing checks to these charities, what you do is you get the tax ID of the charity. You go to the, the whoever is administering the custodian of your IRA, and you say, I want $500 to go to this church or $1,000 to whatever go to is. whatever the, the, those are. And that makes up for part of your required minimum distribution. And by doing it, you can do any percentage of it, you know, 1%, 100%. You can name 50 charities. And it that. does not it does not hit your tax return. So that's the first thing you do. Okay. All right. That is number one. The second thing is no part of your required minimum distribution can be rolled into a Roth IRA. Not, I'm not talking That's, about okay. the, the it, RMD it, portion of it. You're yeah. talking about going in addition. And to, in addition, after I, I understand that I have to do my RMD before I roll over anything to a Roth. It, 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 it might make sense. It, it, it absolutely could make sense. What you'd want to do is you'd actually got to run the numbers. So. Okay. Whoever does your taxes, or if you use a tax program and you do them, you got to run the numbers and you just play around with some scenarios. What if I converted five thousand? What if I converted ten thousand? Where Where is the nine hundred thousand dollars invested today? It's it, I have it in a Vanguard account. Okay. And uh, I have forty percent in stocks and six percent in bonds and. Part of the bonds and part of the stocks are in domestic and international stocks. Okay. You're <laughs> like a poster child. It's perfect. So, so you you need to run those. What's the family income? I'm single. Okay. And I between my Social Security and my pension is roughly a little over 50000 a year. Yeah, you have quite a bit of – you probably have some room to do the Roth conversion – but I'd also look at, again, what we just kind of started, if if you give any money to charity or a church or whatever, if you have that come out of your required minimum distribution, it would give you even more room to do a Roth conversion without having to uh, worry about, because because most of us are taking uh, uh, standard deductions now. Yes, I did in 2018. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. so you don't so, get, no, people aren't so the, the answer to the question is yes there is uh some dollars that appear that could be moved into a Roth IRA and the only way to get there is to run the numbers how is your health uh fairly good okay fairly good I have some issues but I'm you know nothing and, yeah and who are the beneficiaries on this IRA that was my second question to you, was I have several other investment CDs and uh, annuity, and I have all of those investment beneficiaries as my estate, including my, my traditional IRA. And do you, have, who's, in I, your, who's in your estate? Um, I, I have my sister. That's, uh, she's the executor of my estate, but I have seven other siblings other than my sister that's over my estate. So I have a will that says that she is to divide all of that between all the ones that are living after I'm gone. So I, you're, you're if, if having it done this way, what's going to happen? Let's say you passed away today. Under okay. current tax law, that IRA is going to have to be distributed within five years. Okay. And the money, which is all going to be taxable. Yes. Uh, to the estate, it's probably it would probably end up being liquidated in a year because now your sister's the. Uh, it's going to be subject to, probably subject to this the, the um, trust taxes. It'd be a, a mess. The best thing to do would to list even if there's 15 beneficiaries to list them all on. On the on the beneficiary forms for your IRA and your annuity, and then and then uh, for then Vanguard's going to distribute it, and then f- the, for the surviving, so you can list them and say for the surviving. Yes. So if someone okay. is is predeceased, that's the, you, that'd be the best thing. Then Vanguard yeah. goes to all the different beneficiaries and, then they just, and splits it up. Yeah, and that way there isn't one person that is actually making the call for everyone else. So I should list individually each person on all the. Yep, and yeah. the percentage. Correct. And okay. Correct. Okay. So that answers. And, and the reason I asked that question was, is it doesn't appear that you're going to spend this money in your lifetime, and so uh, probably not. The the question we would have is, when we talk about converting to Roths, it kind of depends on what the beneficiaries tax brackets are like. So if they're in a zero percent tax bracket. It may mm-hmm. make no sense to actually convert this to a Roth because the people inheriting those dollars could take them out at either a zero or close to zero yeah. percent. So it's not just you, it's the beneficiaries, what they look like. And with seven, um, it's cumbersome, but it... Well, not necessarily. Just, just filling out the form ones is cumbersome. After that, it's going to be cumbersome for Vanguard, not for you. So, Scott, so thinking about this, I would do the numbers, but I wouldn't spend a ton of time worrying about it. Well, particularly... Well, I, I will tell you this. My siblings are aging. Yeah. And they are much older than... Well, well I'm, I'm number five. I'm right in the middle. So they're four older and four younger. But all of them are retired except one. Mm-hmm. And so the, the ones that are retired, they're just... Uh, they're not in a high-tax bracket. Okay. So uh, if I were to leave them something, it would I don't think it would affect their taxes right. that much. Yep, yep. That, that's that's uh, you you caught you on exactly. Ch- do you have children yourself? No, okay. I do. I do not have any children. You, My house is paid for. Is any of your state? Is any of your state going to a charity, nonprofit, church? I I I I I I do charity quite 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 a bit already. Well, what? well, why, why not part of your? Because uh, you you might you might just want a portion of your IRA to go to charity because they they don't pay any income taxes on it. Okay. I mean, if I had a choice to inherit uh, um, ten thousand dollars in a mutual fund outside direct mutual fund or ten thousand dollars in an IRA, I'd heck I'd choose the ten thousand dollars in the mutual fund, it's tax free, or ten thousand dollars in a CD or ten thousand dollars to cash. inherit and Rather all the uh, yeah. So in the, in this scenario, any. If you're going to leave money to a charity at your death, you always want it to come from the IRA. First. Always. Uh, okay. Because that's, that's deferred tax and I can, okay. Yeah. yeah. And they don't pay taxes. Right. And if you right. gift anything now, you're going to want to have it come out of the next year for the requirement of distribution. 
Have that anything you give go come directly from your IRA. So, you know, I think you should do, Bernice. What? I think you should spend more money. <laughs> the reason she's got the million plus dollars am, saved is because she's been frugal over I, the years. I know Scott, but but you you have these conversations I with know. clients occasionally. And I remember years ago, Pat, uh, husband and wife clients, and he comes in for review, and she wasn't there. I said, "Where's your wife?" And he said, "Well, that's what I want to talk to you about." Every time she comes in, she feels like you call her a cheapskate because I was <laughs> I was encouraging her to spend some money because she was in her seventies and they they weren't gonna they're gonna. So, so it, it, if there's some things that you have been holding back on, skipping a yeah. lunch, skipping a lunch banquet with some girlfriends, taking a trip somewhere <laughs> with some friends, if you've skipped any of those because you because that's how you got the money, that's how you save these dollars. That's right. That's right. You you save them because you were thrifty. Yes. You were, you know, you you don't have you're to worried be about it. If you show me someone that doesn't care about money, I'll show you someone that doesn't have any. <laughs> no, there's no question. <laughs> right. So. The point of us saying spend a little is truly spend a little. And we don't talk uh, about a lot, but it's okay for you to spend $10,000 more a year. It's okay for you to take a little bit more than the required minimum distributions and spend it. Well, I am going to get me a card with the retired minimum distribution today. Good. Good. So buy me a card. Good. Well, get yourself a nice one then, Bernice. Get the right. uh, yeah. air conditioning. And the whole they bit. all have air conditioning now, the, don't they? The power windows, <laughs> the whole bit. <laughs> That's why it's amazing what's standard on a car today, isn't it? Yeah. So when I, was the last time you saw a car you actually had to roll the windows so, up? So my son, you still uh, talk about rolling it up. My son that actually uh, owns a, started a landscaping company, went out to buy his first truck for a landscaping company. And he said he tried to find a, a truck with the roll windows. Yeah. He says he can't even. It actually, it might be that he said it might that be more expensive. He said there was no price difference. Mechanical. Yeah, so, thank you for the call. Bernice. Yeah, I appreciate it, Bernice. Now, what that that is a those are great stories, aren't they? Seriously, she's done well for herself. I tell you, well, the reason one of the reasons that we encourage people to save when they're younger. Much better to be at Bernice's stage in life, and you're trying to figure out how do you max if be you know as most tax efficient as possible, than to be at Bernice's stage in life and thinking how am how, I going to do this? How am I going to pay rent? And let's now go to Northern California and talk with Bruce. Bruce, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Oh, my wife and I are are both returned retired, and uh, we have sold our house, so we have cash from the equity of the house and eventually we're going to be getting a smaller home but right now we got a lot of cash in the bank and i understand under the new laws banks can seize depositors money in a financial crisis and i was wondering how true that is and what what the details are there uh the dollars are in america right united states yeah okay so, yeah, so right now, I'm sure a good amount of state. And there's FDIC insurance of two hundred fifty thousand dollars per individual. And so, how much money is in the account? Uh, about four hundred thousand. You and your you and your wife are on the account. Yes, you're fine. So you're that's five hundred thousand. Yeah, you're fine. And here's how to think of it, Bruce. It, this is These are first of all, they're U.S. dollars. That's yeah, that's the U.S. dollars. Then Argentina pesos or whatever right. the U.S. dollars. They're guaranteed by the federal government of FDIC, so the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. It's the same group of people that actually print the dollars. So the last you should there's nothing to worry about having your dollars disappear. If you want to worry about something, you want to go to that extreme. You could worry about the country disappearing. You could worry about <laughs> inflation. Diminishing uh, but, the value of your dollar, but you have nothing to worry about. We did see this happen through the last financial crisis with some countries that dollars were seized from their bank accounts, and typically they were over uh, millions of dollars, and they were typically uh, it was dirty money, right? So if you were in Russia and you were making yeah, well, a lot of Russia, Russia <laughs> uh, you may hold your assets in a different country, but you have. Absolutely nothing to worry about. Zero. Okay. Not well, a thing. Not yeah, a I w- thing. I, I would, would worry more about getting struck by lightning than I would with those dollars in the bank. I would. 
and but you want to have some concern just just like you wouldn't want to go out if you're in the south somewhere and it's a thunderstorm and you wouldn't go out golfing and holding your golf clubs up in the air same thing you want to make sure that you have your fdic a if, you have, if you have ample assets or substantial assets you want to make sure that you've got some spread yeah. amounts some and the fdic banks. insurance is for the rest of the listeners it's 250,000 per person per account Per person, per per institution, unless there's a trust, in which case it is the number of trustees times the number of beneficiaries not to exceed four beneficiaries, which gives you up to $2 million in FDIC coverage on an account. Four times four. Four times two, times 250. Excuse me, yeah. So there so you go. So a husband and wife with four kids you can get, get up $2 million. Two, as long as it's owned by the trust. Per institution. You want to keep it a slightly under that so the interest accruing will... That is correct. Yeah. Per institution, which is crazy, by the way, that it's per institution. <laughs> <laughs> Someone can have a billion dollars spread amongst all the U.S. banks and have coverage. Yes. Get, get, the federal government guarantees it all. Yes. But then for that matter, they can buy U.S. treasuries. We're going to take a quick break. Stick around for more All Worth Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth Financial's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McClain. Glad you're with us still as we're talking about financial matters. Uh, again, to join the show, I'll take a call from you. I'd love to. 833-99-WORTH is the number to be part of the program. That's 833-99-WORTH. Worth and um, good to hear what's on your mind with your finances. And why don't we jump right into calls? Let's talk with Carol. Carol, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Hi, <clears throat> great talking to you guys. I'm a longtime listener. Thank you. In fact, I remember when you guys had an office where you were considering putting a hamster run around the. Top <laughs> oh my gosh, we weren't really for the rest <laughs> for the rest of you. We weren't really. We joked about the habit trail. What we uh, had talked about is we. It was big when this was like 20 years ago when oh people had God. fish fish tanks in their office, and I said we want to be a little bit different. We're going to put a habit trail <laughs> that runs through the office. I don't even know if they still make those, but it can see a long tube like orange tube way up in the you mean in your office meeting with an advisor and you see a rodent run by that uh that, that'd give you confidence <laughs> anyway well th th you have been listening for a long time <laughs> well i have kind of a three-part question for you um i am 57 and i plan on retiring at 60 i'll have a pension of either eighty two hundred dollars a month or a lump sum of $1.4 So that was the first part of my question, the pension versus the lump sum. What and was the lump sum amount? $1.4 Okay, thanks. And it comes, the pension comes with health care, including vision and dental. If like I the pension. The sum, yeah, you, you're, you're employed by the, you're, you're employed by the, either Kaiser or UC system. UC system. Got there it. we go. It's weird yeah. that we knew that. And unless, <laughs> in, in, unless you, um, do you have, Coverage from another. I mean, if you were no. terminally ill and had coverage elsewhere and didn't need this health coverage, then you take the lump sum. I, no, I Otherwise, do not have other if, coverage. If you're normal. Yeah. So the answer there is you take the, the monthly. Okay. And then, it, so if I'm taking a pension, that's basically an annuity. So that's my correct. 403B, I have 700000 in my 403B. And I've got it invested rather, not very aggressive, but it's maybe 60, 40, stocks 60. Because that money to me is, since I have a pension, that's like an annuity, correct? That's, and so I'm going to have that's that right. income no matter. You can think of it like more aggressive. You, you can think of it like you've got 2.1 million dollars, 1.4 mm -hmm. in pension that's guaranteed, which like would be bond. your bond. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a matter of fact, the only re the only reason you wouldn't have that 403b 100% stocks. There's two reasons for that. One is if you are going to be spending some of the dollars within five years or less. Or mm -hmm. maybe seven years or less. Or two, you don't want to deal with the, the huge swings. You don't want to, it would drive you crazy if you saw that your seven hundred fall to four hundred. <laughs> yeah, if you if you Which react, is a valid reason. If you reacted emotionally to the markets. Yes, and and I don't. I've never I've never ever taken gotten less aggressive. In fact, I just recently got less aggressive 
um, in the last couple of years because the advisor for UC Davis said, you know, hey, you're getting near retirement. And actually, I wish I had not have listened to him and I had a stayed more. Did he know everything else about your financial life, what your mortgage was, what your plans were and all those yes, other things? Yes, okay. right. yes. And and so um, I I was almost completely 100 percent in stocks, and I wish I had left it there. Well, but if the and, stock market had fallen, you would have said just the opposite, and you would have said, exactly, "Oh, I'm so glad." Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the last part of that is since I don't need my Social Security, um, I'm thinking to take it at 62 because I, I personally think it's going to go away. <laughs> I think I think they're uh, well. You're in a situation. You're in a situation. You're going to be a sing. You're you're single, correct? No, I just got married last month. Lucky him. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's funny? He called you last month and he said, I'm getting married to a wonderful woman in August and he has an MS account. He didn't quite out what he was trying to say about where the money could be invested. And so he was on your show last month. Oh, there we go. (laughs) So uh, do you owe anything on your home? I do. I owe about two hundred and fifty, and it's worth about seven hundred thousand. But we do not plan on staying uh, in California for long, so I will probably okay. sell this house in the next See, five years. The, given the fact you've got a pension of eighty two hundred dollars a month, I would agree with you. I, if I were in your situation, I would take Social Security as, as soon as I could, assuming I wasn't working anymore. No, God, no. <laughs> well, you say that now, but you yeah. yeah. But you'll know if you retire at sixty, you'll know by sixty two. And, and and do you or your new husband have uh, children from a previous marriage? We both do. Both adults. Okay. Have, uh, we have six adult children. Okay. So so the the if you were sitting in my office, we would we I'd go along with almost everything you said. I'd probably have the portfolio eighty to ninety percent equities. And I would probably start Social Security at 62. The thing that I would concentrate on is uh, making sure that you had a living trust uh, that Mm -hmm. allowed their surviving spouse to uh, stay in the home for the rest of their life. Assuming one or that you own a home together, you had that in place and that you're – when you did that, then the assets would stay in your sides of the family. And I assume you've done that. We have an appointment to do that with with an attorney. We had to get a prenup first before the, the wedding, but now we're doing our trust. Each of us, they said to have a separate one because we each have adult children. Perfect. And so his assets would go to them, and mine would be kind of split between him and my children. Because perfect. I just have more. Perfect, perfect. And are you? Uh, did he choose a joint survivor on his pension? Um, he has he has a four hundred one k. Okay. So he needs to. Cha- I am the total beneficiary. Okay. And are you um, choosing a joint survivor on your pension? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna choose the one that is um the that where I make the most amount because he's three years older than me and chances are that I will outlive him got anyway. It. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Perfect. You sound great. It sounds it sounds great. You're yeah, and I think you're thinking of your portfolio the exact right way. Okay. Okay. And oh, I have. I'm sorry. Yes, just a second for one more question. Sure. About Roth. If if I'm married now, married filing jointly, can he put money in a Roth IRA under me? He does not have earned income. Yes. He's retired. Yes, he can. Yes. It's it's family income. Yes. Okay. So you can make a contribution to a Roth IRA or regular IRA. It's based on family income. As you're filing a joint tax return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Well, well thank, thank you for you being such so a long-time listener. Yes. We went on that. That was so stupid. We're, and we had a series for a little while called uh, Jobs. Pat, yeah, Jobs Pad Hat or something like that. Yeah, because I've had... Although I've had this, this. is uh, let me, let me, let's make the clarity here. This is before you became a financial advisor and you're in mid twenties. It's your, when you're a child. Yeah, yeah. I must yeah. have had forty or fifty different jobs by the time I. Uh, oh, that must be an exaggeration. No, some lasted almost three, four hours. Okay. <laughs> so, appreciate the call. Yeah, thanks, Carol. We wish you well. You know, it's interesting, Scott. I had dinner with a gentleman that uh, owns a. Uh, a Chain, I shouldn't say chain, a number of high-end restaurants. I had dinner. I used to work with him. Uh, I worked for him. I had dinner with him in the last couple of weeks. And you were like a busboy when you started with him? I was a waiter when I started with him. But he was always one of the – I had worked in, I don't know, a dozen, half dozen, nah, probably 10 different restaurants. And he was the best operator I had ever worked for. Yeah. And we're now heading to New Jersey.
833-99-WORTH is the number. We're in New Jersey talking with Tom. Tom, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Thank you for taking my call, sir. Thank you. I wanted to ask a specific question with regards to charitable giving. Okay. And uh, how can I set up an income in perpetuity for a specific charitable corporation and a specific cause uh, that I want to fund for them? And what are the mechanics to make sure that it really goes through in perpetuity? How? How big is the charity that you're hoping to set this up for? Uh, it's a fairly, fairly good-sized charity. And how much money are, do you want to contribute? A hundred thousand. And then you want to provide this income for perpetuity—the income off of a hundred thousand. Well, they—if it's a large charity, they probably have an endowment program. And that's what you would use they is their endowment. Yeah, program. If, if you give money to a, a charity that has an endowment, you state to them, look. I'm giving you these dollars. I don't want these dollars spent on your current programs. You know, I don't want you to spend the principal. I don't want you spending the money on a new building project. I want these dollars. I want these placed somewhere where they're going to be invested and spin off an income. I want this to go in perpetuity. That would be their endowment. And you just say these dollars have to go into your endowment. Okay, great. And, Thank and, you very much, sir. Sure. Yeah. And if it's a decent-sized charity at all, They'll have an endowment. They'll have an endowment. Yeah. And that's gotcha. a simple way to do it. Otherwise, um, you could actually put it in a charitable gift trust and then set up an automatic payment to those over a period of time. Then but someone's going to have to manage that later. Yeah. It's Large just, charities have endowments. Yes. And some people like investing and some people don't. Some people say. I actually, so I've actually written the investment policy statements for um, uh, a couple of endowments. And then I was at a uh, I was at a, a charity which was a food bank and they wanted to create an endowment and I voted against it. And the reason you said, I let en- tomorrow take care of tomorrow. That's what I said. Yeah. I said there's hungry people today. <laughs> I, I kinda, I, <laughs> right. So, it, you know, some people. I I to- I'm I, I'm I'm on your side of the table on this thing because I it's like it seems to me that our society c- continues to get. We've progressed, you know, the GDP grows, standard of living grows, all in all. For so I believe that there'll be more wealth tomorrow than there was yesterday, and there's needs today. And especially if you could fix something today that stops the perpetuation of a problem in the future. <laughs> I mean, you bring, you bring it to the extreme. I'm sorry we have no food for you today. We have money in endowment, so if you come back next month, we'll have food for you. That was uh, my argument exactly. Yeah. Which is how are you going to tell? Hungry but not. People? But there are still times when I am. Um, Educational endowments are uh, quite popular. Let's continue with some calls here. If you'd like to join our program, our contact number is eight three three ninety nine worth. I'm sorry, I got to laugh here for a moment. <laughs> how you doing, Connor? <laughs> Pat's uh, son, his oldest son, just walked in, and you're like. So I've known Connor since he was, you know, a little snot-faced kid, and now he's this grown man, has a business and all that, and he walks in. Vista Landscape Management. Vista Landscape Management. And Connor's goal is to have the largest commercial landscape company in the country. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that that's going to happen because this kid, (laughs) he's always been uh, very entrepreneurial. and uh, He works. We're proud of him. As yeah. I am all my children, in case one of them happens to be listening. <laughs> They're all different, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Denver, Colorado. Denver, where I'm my eldest daughter's in grad school at the big DU. Is she enjoying it? Um, Is she yeah, tired she's, of school yet? or? Well, she's halfway through, uh, more than halfway through her master's program. Um, and at one point she said she was thinking about getting her Ph.D., and then another point, she says she's not quite sure what she wants to do when she graduates. I'm thinking, you're, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you're halfway through. And I'm starting to wonder if she's just becoming, enjoying being a professional student. Um, and? You're going you're gonna to call? Gonna, at some it's so time, much easier for my son. Why? Because I have a double standard. Explain that to me. It sounds sexist. Maybe it is. Okay, well, explain explain the dumb. <laughs> so, my son. Uh, and remember, look, you're I talking would, about your own children. So correct. It, All right, here, it's so, pretty personal. So, if my son struggled to the point where, like, he was sleeping on someone's couch for a couple weeks, I would not be worried about him. 
if my daughter was struggling where she was needed housing somewhere for a couple weeks, I would be highly concerned. All right, I'll go with that. I'll go for with that. hopefully reasons that I don't have to mention. Yes, right? yes, so yes, yes, yes. There comes my double standard. But yeah, I want my daughter to be fully self-supportive, um, self-supporting, so, right? self-supporting. I don't want to have to be relying upon, um, uh, you know, a husband or. I mean, uh, odds are she's going to be married and have a husband and all, all that stuff and family one day. But I don't want her to be relying upon that. And I also realize that who knows what can happen in the future. And I don't. She needs to be able to stand on her own two feet. Do you have these things. conversations with her? I'm just you're just hoping she listens to the podcast. <laughs> I know she's not listening. <laughs> um, not quite like that. Should I? I don't know. <laughs> Well, I know I mean, your daughter. Da- your daughter's getting her teaching credential. Yeah, she's getting her master's, and then she, part of that okay. is her teaching credential. So she's pretty much on path for becoming a, a teacher. That That is correct. Where your daughter is, what is she getting it in? Well, the- sports psychology, and she has an internship, unpaid, mind you, internship at Winter Park Ski Area. Sounds like fun. <laughs> so, and I think her dream would be to... Uh, to create a sports psychology program for one of the ski race teams at some ski resort somewhere in the world. Hers and everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else's dream. Are any of the big sports psychology companies hiring? Or It's a growing field, actually. And, Is it? And, oh, yeah. Most pro- professional teams have sports psychologists. A lot of the colleges have sports psychologists. I didn't know that. High yeah. schools, sports psychologists? I don't think high schools do they. Mm. I don't know. They're probably. I would imagine some of these private schools that have the best football teams or whatever. And what be is surprised. This? And so, have. like, well, obviously, have no, we will go back to calls right there's, no, yeah, there's no reason. I, this is the first time we've <laughs> yeah. had this conversation. I thought she was studying like physical. And by the therapy. way, Jess, I love you dearly. This is. Uh, I thought she was studying physical therapy. No, and this no. isn't about your daughter anymore. This is about <laughs> this whole sports psychology <laughs> thing, right? So if I was, if I was having some performance issues as an athlete. Yes, assuming that's exactly right. Assuming I was an athlete, which would be a stretch <laughs> to begin with, I would go to them and they'd work through my psychological issues and talk about yeah, what's my, in your head. Like, like why, why you, you know, what happened in your childhood that made you so slow? But like they, there was a university, this uh, study on these, um, I believe they were out of track and field or maybe they were the long distance runners. And they Brought a couple of these runners in, in the basement, uh, and there was a, a room, all in the bare room, with a treadmill and a brick wall in front of the treadmill. And they put the treadmill on as steep as it can be, cranked it up as fast as it can go, and said, run as long as you physically can. Give it 100% of your effort. Okay. Okay. So the runner would run till, let's just say, 22 minutes and 30 seconds. Which is hard running on it on a Whatever treadmill on an incline, right? 22 minutes and 30 seconds. Then they bring the same athlete back in two weeks later. Back to the same room, and they said, "We want you to repeat what you did last time, but we'd like to beat your pre. We want you to try to beat your previous time." Now they hung a clock on the wall, but they lied to them, and instead of having the clock marked at twenty two thirty, they would mark the clock at twenty three ten, or something slightly further than they had gone before. So now the athlete had believed that they were capable of something. And whatever, the eight times out of ten or whatever, the majority of the time, the athletes beat their previous best because they believed they could accomplish it. And that's what a sports psychologist does. That makes sense to me. That's kind of what they do. At the end of the day, help yeah. people believe and get whatever's going on in their head out of their head. And and into the onto the field. Yes. But she coaches lacrosse Very and nice. um, well, helps out with the... Uh, I've known Jessica since she was born and... Uh, she has. She's turned into a nice. And I imagine, lady. I imagine uh, Bill and Denver's been listening to all this. So now let's go t- take the call in Denver. <laughs> uh, and again, if you want to join us, eight three three ninety nine worth. That'll get you with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. We're not going to talk about my daughter's uh, continuing education that might continue indefinitely. <laughs> indefinitely. <laughs> and you let her know that it, basically what? on this show that how to play you. Oh, she knows how to play me. Oh, my gosh. She knows how Your to play Your son me. could never play you like that. No, I get frustrated mm-hmm. at him. Yeah. So there is a double standard, He's and a it is sexist. in college, and, uh, yeah, she gets away with a lot more. And, 
knows how to squeeze a few dollars from me. I remember it was hilarious. She was like maybe 19. And I was complaining to somebody. It's the only time I ever hear from my daughter is, is when she wants something. And she that's, I mean, wants money. The only time I hear from her is when she wants money. And she came to me, Dad, that's very offensive. You know, that's not true. And I pulled up her text. I said, you want to see the text history? <laughs> so you tell me. <laughs> she said. Oh, but she's grown up a bit since then. Yeah, she's she's right. a wonderful young lady. Nice young lady. She's a, she's a lot of fun. She's going to do very well in life. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Bill, I appreciate you putting up with this banter that we've had back and forth. But we are now actually, indeed, talking with Bill in Denver. Bill, welcome to All Worth Money Matters. Thank you. I'm looking at... Uh long-term care policies today. I'm in my early 60s, and uh, I'm finding two of them, or two types. One is a a traditional long-term care policy where you pay a monthly premium for long-term care benefits, and the other is uh, a hybrid where you pay a a one-time single premium up front, and there's a, a death benefit Yep. Component yep. and a long-term care policy yep. component. Yep. I wanted to get your thoughts on the difference I'm between glad you those called. two and yeah. Um, and uh, typically we hate life insurance. No, I we don't hate life. We hate whole life insurance, except in some circumstances. Uh, and the reason I don't, the reason I'm not a big fan of whole life or universal life is primarily because they're, it's missold. Uh, and people would benefit further with just term life insurance if they needed the life insurance and some other things. Having said that, there are some times when it makes sense, and this is one of them. Now, long-term care insurance has been uh, a bit of a mess the last number of years. Uh, uh, GE is a big provider of long-term care, the largest one. Their spinoff, Genworth Financial, number two, I believe. Uh, there's already talk now they don't have enough money in reserves and the, cha- the part of the challenge in long-term care is, is twofold. First, more people are needing care than the actuaries assumed 20, 30 years ago. Second, insurance companies, they're in the same low interest rate, rate environment that we all are in. So when you pay your premiums to the insurance company, they've got to go invest it. They, they can't go get 6 or 7% in government bonds. they got to take 1.5% like the rest of us. So they're, they're, they're not earning as much money on all their cash reserves, which means they're going to have to get it from somewhere. They get it from the policyholders. So traditional long-term care has been challenged uh, with those things. Further, most traditional long-term care has a waiting period of six months or so. What waiting period were you looking at, Bill? Do you recall? Well, they offer both, either 90 or 180. Okay, 90 or 180 days. So relatively short, and you think of it kind of like a deductible you'd have on your home or your car. They're relatively short. The, the asset-based kind, the hybrid kind that you're referring to, they're technically a single-payment life insurance policy. And the way they're structured, when, when you need care, the first dollars that you are spending, are, it's not the insurance company's coffers. It's the money that you just gave them. Right. So let's say you put in a hundred grand and you need suddenly you need long term care. The first dollars you're spending are your own dollars that you contributed to this policy. So essentially, before the insurance kicks in, the insurance company's on the hook, you got to blow through your cash. So it might be year and a half, a two year waiting period before the insurance company has to kick in their cash. So from the insurance company standpoint, it's less risk for them. They're having to pay out less dollars. So it acts as a deductible, if you will. Yeah, it's a higher deductible. Yeah. So, I mean, given the choice of having a a asset based, if I had the cash and one of the long term care insurance, I, I'd use an asset based. The under current conditions, the asset based products seem to be more attractive than the traditional long term care policy. And I wouldn't wait to purchase this either, only because the premiums will probably go up. Uh, relatively soon, just based on the interest rate environment in which we are, uh, w- which we find ourselves. Because the insurance company, if you think about what they do with the money, yes, exactly what we were just talking about. Well, and the other attractive feature with the asset-based, in my opinion, is that if you don't use the policy, uh, you generally will get uh, most of it back yeah. and a death uh, benefit through uh, a death benefit. Yeah, that's correct. And also think of it, let's say you throw in 100 grand there, you lose the earnings ability on that. 
So that earnings ability, it's paying for the paying for your insurance premium. But a lot of people like the concept of it. Like, I mean, I would definitely, I would look, if I'm going to buy long-term care insurance, I'm going to buy an asset-based one today. It's what we mostly recommend to our clients yeah. that have the ability to, to put those lump sums in. Yeah, you do avoid the uncertainty of uh, the uh, premiums going up, uh, you know, uh, typical of a, um, a traditional policy. That's the hope. That's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah. So it's, you know, the devil's in the details of the contract itself, which is right. they it, it, sometimes people won't raise the premium. They'll just diminish the um, they'll just diminish the, the payout. Well, we have just a couple minutes left in the program, and um, there is a study that Vanguard had put out, and I briefly highlighted. Maybe this sounds self-serving, and perhaps it is, but it's called Vanguard's Advisors Alpha. Vanguard Advisors Alpha, and what this does, it was it took things from a an objective standpoint and tried to calculate. What value a financial advisor, a fee-based financial advisor, a could fiduciary, a, someone with an education that is working on <laughs> your behalf in your best interest? That doesn't mean a commission salesperson trying to sell you an annuity, a life insurance policy, a non-traded read, an indexed annuity, or any other of this garbage stuff. This is a real, real financial advisors that are acting as a fiduciary. But. There is four, and here's why I'm bringing this up. There's four areas, and I think you need to be examining your own relationship with an advisor to see if, in fact, your advisor is helping out in these four areas. The first, investment management. And I think when most people think of a financial advisor, that's what they think of, investment management. But it goes beyond that. The second is financial planning and wealth management. In other words, how does this all fit in together? How do we deal with the tax situations of IRAs versus non-IRAs versus capital gains, et cetera? Versus Roth IRAs. Should I be gifting money? Should I have a charitable plan in place? The third is the service model, which is just how, you know, are they responsive and some of those things? Are they willing to help you? Are they withholding the appropriate amount of taxes and getting over the IRS? Are my 1099s or K1s coming out correctly? But the fourth, which might be one of the more important ones, behavioral coaching. And that's just helping people stick with their plan when, the, when, when you don't everything want to. else says no. It's time to make some changes. So that it's I, actually, if you haven't read that, go to uh, just Google it. I think it's a pretty good study. Anyway, we're out of time. Join us next 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 week, the same station, the same time. This has been All Worth Financial Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.